Welcome to Making Sense of Money, a financial education podcast dedicated to making complex financial topics easier to understand. I'm Nikki Jancola Shanks. Last episode, we talked about selling a house. So if you're getting ready to sell your home, feel free to check out our last episode. And I'm Andrew Pellegrini. Today, we're going to be talking about a more sensitive topic than we've covered in the past. We're going to be talking about estate planning. One of our colleagues, Kathy Sweebler, described it in one of our webinars together, Planning for the Unforeseen, which we'll link in the show notes, as something that a lot of people assume only old rich people do. However, there are a lot of different aspects of estate planning that can help you or your loved ones during times of financial crises. We'd also like to remind all of our listeners that Nikki and I are not lawyers, so we're going to keep a lot of today's discussion pretty high level. If you have questions about estate planning, it'd be best to consult an estate lawyer. I feel like, Andrea, our name should be I'm Nikki Jankola Shanks, not a lawyer. Because like every, every episode, we're like, please, please consult. <laughs> not a lawyer, not, not, a, lawyer. A, not a financial <laughs> professional, not a CPA. And one thing I, I'm going to be very honest about that Andrew knows about me is, as she said to me before we started recording, Nikki, are you okay? Because I know death gives you the heebie-jeebies. This is definitely a, a topic that I don't personally enjoy talking about. I know that it's necessary, but it does give me the heebie-jeebies. Andrea is much better about the topic and the understand, as she keeps reminding me, death is part of life. So just know that. <laughs> um, it doesn't make it much off. easier. <laughs> Sorry, it doesn't make it much easier just to have that understanding that death is part of life. It's still hard to deal with. Yes. It just doesn't give me as much heebie-jeebies <laughs> as it does for Nikki. So according to our close personal friend, Investopedia, estate planning is the preparation of tasks that serve to manage an individual's asset base in the event of their incapacitation or death. The key thing here, I think, is that estate planning isn't just for when you die. It can also help your family if you become incapacitated. It can even be helpful if you are visiting or living outside the country. So what is the legal definition of incapacitation? This is a person who may not be able to make or communicate responsible personal decisions. They exhibit inability to meet their own personal needs for medical care, nutrition, clothing, shelter, or safety. If a person cannot make decisions on any of the issues, a general guardian will be appointed. If the person has a disability only in limited areas, then a limited guardian is sufficient. A minor may not come under the definition of incapacitated person under certain statutes and is treated separately. When you think about financial planning broadly, there are a lot of different pieces to it. There's goal setting, which as you know, is one of my favorite topics to talk about when it comes to financial planning. There's retirement planning, risk management. We did a, a whole series on invet- or insurance, thanks to Nikki working with the Department of Insurance for us, which is a big piece of risk management. There's investments and tax planning. And then there's the thing that a lot of people avoid. And, or maybe they get too tired to do it at the end of, there's a lot of different tasks to do when it comes to financial planning. And that is estate planning. Within estate planning, there are several tools to consider or things to think about that can be included in your overall estate plan. There are things like transfers, and sometimes they're called 
beneficiary designations, or they might be called something else, but they're generally transfers. There's also wills, which a lot of us know about, but we'll kind of legally define that for you. There's probate and affidavit, which occurs after someone dies. There's life insurance, which we've talked about before, funeral planning, or power of attorneys. And we'll talk about each one of these different concepts in a little more depth over the rest of this episode. So let's start by talking about transfers first. Transfers are a common way for an asset, such as a car or bank account, to be given to a designated person immediately after death. These different terms we're talking about are sometimes used interchangeably, so please keep that in mind. Organizations may differ in how they describe transfers, but essentially they're all tools to transfer ownership of property or financial assets to someone else when you die. So for example, you could put a transfer on a car so that when you die, that person can immediately, with a death certificate, go and take care of transferring the car to their name. There's also something called payable on death. This is usually used with a bank account. You name the person to have the funds of your bank account after you die. You may have picked this individual when you open the account, and it may need to be changed or updated, something you should always have in the back of your head. Depending on the organization or where you're located, this could also be called a beneficiary. So for example, I will say for me and my husband, right, that I designated him a beneficiary on my bank account to make sure that if anything happened to me, it goes immediately to him. Then there's something called transfer on death. This instrument is used with houses, cars, and other assets that need to be transferred to an individual after you die. Beneficiary designations are also used for retirement accounts, life insurance proceeds, and more. You can list primary and contingent beneficiaries to receive the funds after your death. These designations are usually completed while you're signing up or purchasing life insurance. If you have any of these accounts, you may want to check and see who's your beneficiary and if they need to be updated or changed. So I will just use my own personal example. I Once upon a time, I was a teacher. When I started teaching back in 2005 and I signed up and I got life insurance and my pension, I was not married. So at the time, I had to designate somebody else. And at, at that time, I've talked before, I owned a townhouse with my cousin. So actually, I designated my cousin to get all of my benefits because she would then be paying. We were joint on the mortgage. So the mortgage would then be totally on her if something happened to me. So I designated her as my beneficiary for everything. Once I got married and I bought a house with my husband and everything like that, I had to go back and change a bunch of stuff, even though I was no longer teaching, right? Like that technically her name was still on that paperwork from 2005. So I had to go back to make sure it was updated. So you just want to think about any life events like that. You may have purchased a life insurance plan, or maybe you opened up a 401k years ago and your life changes, right? This is actually something my husband and I have been talking about because we actually have to go and add our daughter to all of our stuff. So just something to keep in mind. We are definitely going to list a lot of resources in the show notes today. We will list a lot of good sources for how to use transfer on death for a home or transferring a car in Illinois, et cetera. So make sure you check them out. Now let's talk a little bit about wills. So wills are legal documents that include a person's wishes for what to do with their property or estate when they die. 
they're used usually to specify your last wishes, maybe what you want to be done with your body. Do you want it to be donated to science? Do you want to be cremated? Do you want your ashes deposited somewhere specific? Do you want you know, funeral arrangement type things might be included. Um, it also would appoint someone to carry them out. This is called an executor, sometimes called an administrator. It might be used to transfer assets to beneficiaries after your death, like personal effects or things that don't have a beneficiary designation. It might also be used to name guardians for minor children. This is very important if you have young children. I'm laughing and Andrea is giving me a look. Um, I Death gives me the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> and I will be very honest that two of my closest, closest friends, like a week after our daughter was born, was like, did you call a lawyer and make a will? And I was like, I am barely a human right now. I am postpartum. I have not. Like, I cannot think, right? Then three months later, they're like, did you do it? And I was like, so I, I will say, I understand why this is important. Do as I preach, not as I do. <laughs> um, we, will, we will work on this together. Yes. Because... I will say, though, that part of it isn't because we haven't talked about it. We have talked about it. It's that there is not a clear decision for us about what we're struggling with. What would happen, God forbid, that both of us weren't here? Where would Carissa go? Is a conversation we have been having. It's just hard. It's hard. It's hard. It gives me the heebie-jeebies, and we're not quite ready to say we're 100 comfortable with this one decision yet. So it's not like we're ignoring it completely. Well, the, I think this is a, a good opportunity to to let you know that you can make a this is this is decision for now, and we can update it whenever we make a more appropriate decision. Because having nothing in place. Let me tell you from experience, Nikki, having nothing in place and listeners having nothing in place, no direction, no anything is so much harder on your loved ones. And it would be particularly hard on a minor child who doesn't have a designated caregiver. And I think that's part of it is that for Steve and I personally, his family lives in Florida. I don't have any siblings. My parents are older, so she can't really go full-time with my parents. So then it's, does she go with one of my cousins? Does she go with an aunt or uncle? But then she's being uprooted, you know, like, mm -hmm. so there, there's just a lot. But like you said, it is something I think people need to, to understand that once you do it, it's not a, whatever it is, right? Transfers, designees, wills. It's not a set it and forget it. No, it's really a set it and then make sure that every few years you're reviewing it in case circumstances change. Well, and it doesn't even have to be every few years. Like Nikki, you're actively having these conversations. You can be like, you know what? We just need to decide right now for now, if something would happen in the next two months before we make a, a better decision, this is the, the best decision with what knowledge we have right now. And we're on a time crunch. Like we don't want something to happen where you and your husband get in a car accident and your daughter is by herself. I'm starting to freak out. Andrew. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just, I've been through a lot this year and it would be so much worse if I had had to figure out if my brother had had a child, what to do with the child and what he would have wanted. Cause we never would have talked about that. I understand. I know. I know. I'm sorry. 
this is a this is a difficult topic for all of us. So after you name the guardians for your minor children or the guardians for your pets, like my husband and I have talked about where would our dog go, our greyhound, if something happened to both of us at the same time. And we decided that one of our close friends who watches her when we're away, we asked her if she would, she would take her. So we've decided that together. In Illinois, only self-proving or testamentary wills are legally valid. A self-proving will allows for the will to be executed by going through the probate court without the need for witnesses to testify. Basically, the will must be in writing in order to be valid and have two witnesses sign it. So you can't like record audio or video of yourself and call it your will. It's not going to be legally valid in Illinois. It might be in other states, but it won't be here. And once someone dies and everything is recorded through the courts, a will is also considered public knowledge. So this is why you can even look up Elvis Presley's will. Typically, people will hire an attorney to create a will, but you can also purchase software or do it online. An attorney knows your wishes and can store it for you, which can make it a lot easier for your loved ones when you die since there is a keeper of your will. This also may be necessary for more complicated situations. That being said, I would also like to just remind people that if that is what you do in in a certain attorney or law firm has your will, you need to make sure people know who that attorney or will like or law firm is. Because it actually doesn't help anybody if you pass away and no one knows where to go and they're not going to find it under your bed, which I don't recommend. So like, (laughs) that's just something to keep in mind. I I will say it's not a funny story. It's okay because it all works out in the end. But what my cousin's father, my uncle actually last year collapsed and he died and then came back to life. Like legit was like died. His friend did CPR enough. They shocked his heart. The paramedics got there in time. He was in a coma for about a day. And then they like did all this medical stuff. And now he's up and walking and totally fine. In that day, they thought that my cousin, who is the executor of his will, they thought that he was not going to make it. And she may have to make, she wanted to consult his will about what he would want and, and all these things. He is a retired Chicago detective and therefore moves all important paperwork and savings account on a rotating basis. He never keeps anything in the same spot because in case somebody's watching, I don't know, you know, like as a safety thing, like, so that way nobody knows where his stuff is, which also went, but he forgot to tell my cousin where he moved it. (laughs) So my cousin like went to his house and was like, ah, what? There's piles everywhere. What is happening? <laughs> so that was one thing that when he did wake up, she addressed with him, <laughs> but it needs to be in one spot. So, but if you don't go the attorney route, there's also online or software. So this can be easy, but not always. Every situation is different. And the more complex it is, the less likely that default questions for online or software or features in that, in those two things, will be able to accommodate your needs. So they do range from simple to comprehensive. So it could be a good place to get started, even if you figure out once you get into it that you do need to talk to an attorney. 
And it's important to update your will for life transitions, as we talked about, so it'll be legally valid. So for example, if you move to another state, that's what makes the document actually useful to those you left behind. You don't want to be in a situation where something happens and the executor named in your will is no longer able to perform the duties for whatever reason. Maybe something happened to them, they're no longer around, or you had a falling out or whatever it might be. Or incapacitation. Yeah. Yeah. I've taught on estate planning for a few years, but until this year, I did not have any firsthand experience with settling an estate. This means that all the deceased person's property, including cash, accounts, house, cars, boats, etc., are collected as well as their debts and any taxes are paid out of the value of those assets. Then whatever's left over is distributed based on a valid will or what the state law is. Academically, this this process of estate distribution seems like it's pretty straightforward. Like I understood, you know, like if someone dies, you have to collect their assets and like go through the, the whole process. It could be tedious, but it seems straightforward. I've learned a lot this year about just the process of finding the assets and the information about them. It can take a really long time. And if you add in this almost crippling effect that grief has on your cognition and way your mind works and how you think about things, it can take even longer because it's just so hard. And I'm, I'm pretty good at separating most of my emotions from like tasks that need to be completed, but it was too much. It was like a trigger sometimes. So I could only do a little bit at a time sometimes. My brother passed away in January this year, and he was actually pretty organized, even though he didn't have like an estate plan or a will, but we're currently at the end of July and I'm still working to get all of his assets from all the different organizations that he did business with because they all have different processes, even though we're using a small estate affidavit and legally they should be accepting that. They might have their own affidavits that you have to fill out. They're all different. They might tell you you need to redo your paperwork because they're not reading it accurately. Um, it can be, it's just so time consuming and frustrating. I've had a lot of really empathetic responses to my inquiries, but I've also had some very callous ones, which are hard to deal with when you're grieving. And, and even when I hired the estate lawyer, I was pretty concerned about how long I had to get things done since there was no will. And I need to know if there was any legal deadlines that I should be aware of. Um, and my estate lawyer really didn't give me any specifics, just vague, like it shouldn't take very long type answers. But I had no frame of reference for what not very long was. So I didn't know if that was weeks. I didn't know if that was months. I didn't know if that was years. And the only time constraint he did provide was if the assets had gone through probate and the money from those assets would need to be held in an estate account for six months prior to be distributing to all the heirs. Since we're using the small estate affidavit process, that time frame doesn't really apply. It doesn't matter. But I just want to share that after experience is kind of anxiety and frustration with the lack of specifics that I was getting from professionals that do this all the time. I just want every one of our listeners to know that it can take months 
sometimes it takes people years. I've heard, I've been talking to other colleagues that have gone through this process and it took them years to collect all the assets before it could be distributed. And I, I just want people to know that it's okay if it takes a little bit longer. You don't want to take it too long because it can be really costly the longer that you take to collect assets and get them distributed from the different organizations, especially if you inherit an asset that requires insurance or utilities like a house. The longer that it takes to resolve or sell that asset, the more costly it's going to be for the estate or for the family members or people taking care of the asset. So just keep that in mind as you think about how long it might take you to resolve all your deceased loved ones responsibilities and collect their assets and deal with all these different organizations that you might have to. And one thing I just want to point out is that Andrea is very good at all of this because as she says, she's taught it, but she's also unfortunately had it livid. And I know that this is also a very difficult topic for you right now. So we do appreciate you being so uh, open and honest as this is still very fresh for you. There are legal obligations and procedures that have to be followed when someone dies. So no matter what path someone chooses, debts have to be paid off. Taxes have to be paid. Property and assets must be divided as the person who died intended or the law states. So having a will or other legal documents like transfer of death completed helps people know what the deceased intended. The different paths that you can choose to take depend on your state's laws, how much your assets add up to, and what the deceased has chosen to do with legal documents before death and if there are dependent children that need to be cared for. There are two primary paths set for settling in a state in Illinois, and those are affidavits and probate. So Andrea, as discussed, I know you've used, you've had experience lately, unfortunately, with this, and that you personally used a small estate affidavit to work on settling your brother's estate. So can you talk a little bit more about that process? Yes, I can. I want to share my knowledge from this difficult process. So in Illinois, you can use the small estate affidavit for estates without land and less than $100,000 in total assets. What this particular document does is it summarizes the value of all assets and the distribution process for those assets. I hired an estate lawyer to draft it for my situation because I wanted to make sure it was going to be legally documented in that county. So I, I actually hired someone that was in the county where my brother had passed away and had lived. That's that's the ideal situation, obviously. And so I, I hired that estate lawyer to draft the small estate affidavit. And he always describes the summary of the value of assets and their distribution as an accounting. So if you talk to an estate lawyer, that's how they might describe what needs to be included with the small estate affidavit and accounting of all assets, all debts, all distributions. It does need to be notarized and is usually coupled with the death certificate. Since my brother's home was not included in the total value of his assets, the value of everything else he had, including cars, investments without beneficiaries, etc., totaled to less than $100,000. So if you have investments that have beneficiaries designated, they do not get included in the value of the assets that can be distributed through settling an estate. 
So I, I didn't have to include like his furniture or his electronics or clothes or other personal items, but I did have to include the value of his two cars and all the digital and investment assets that I found that he was the sole owner of. So not everything has to be included in the collections of assets, which you might've figured out from me listing all the things that didn't need to be included, either for an affidavit or in probate for settling an estate, but anything solely owned by the decedent or the person who died should go in there. So that includes digital assets like cryptocurrencies in Illinois, because they are considered legal assets in the state of Illinois. And then things that wouldn't be included would be assets owned jointly or by businesses. For example, my mom was named as a joint account holder on one of my brother's bank accounts, probably because he never changed it after she helped him open it as a child. Uh, So that's another reason if you don't want your parent to get your bank account and they helped you open it as a child change who's on your your bank account but they jointly owned that particular account so all the cash in that account ended up going to her i did have an interesting situation where one of his cars was technically owned by a business in another state because he couldn't get it registered in illinois it's a tube chassis vehicle it's an aerial atom for any of the car enthusiasts out there It was very fun to drive when I took it to my father who wanted it. Since it's a tube chassis vehicle, which Illinois no longer licenses to be street legal, he opened an LLC in another state and the car was licensed under the LLC so that he could legally drive it in Illinois. And that took a lot of research and back and forth to figure out how to legally transfer that particular car to one of my family members since it was technically owned by a business. So that was a little challenging. Things you don't think about when you start teaching about small (laughs) estate planning is What if one of your family members has a car technically owned by an LLC in Montana? And how do you distribute the asset? One thing that Andrea just brought up that I think will be very interesting as time goes on is cryptocurrency. It is so new. And I know Andrea did have some issues dealing with it, but that is something to think about. I don't think as people are acquiring and, and, you know, dealing with crypto in general is that there is that whole what happens to it. So that's just something to keep in mind because it is really, really new. And so rules, regulations, transfers, everything around that is also new. So keep that in mind as you're planning your own assets. Well, and I think along with that, Nikki, one thing that I would mention is if I had listened to our estate lawyer on how to identify where assets were using snail mail, I wouldn't know where any of the digital assets were. I had to basically break into my brother's computer in order to figure out where all of his assets were. And so not just cryptocurrencies, but any NFTs that they might own, any other types of digital assets, because blockchain technology is being used in a lot of different ways. So who knows in a year what other digital assets might exist using that type of technology. All great points that I think, you know, new things are exciting, but then they also bring up all these questions that that have to be talked about, which again is for a policy nerd like me is fun. (laughs) 
But let's say you're in a situation where you have more than $100,000 in assets when you die. Then the probate option is what you'd use to settle the estate. There are two ways that an estate can be settled through probate. The first is limited supervision. This is where a judge reviews and approves final accounting filed by the estate administrator. There's full supervision. That's where the judge administers the estate. And this is pretty rare. And then letters of office are used in both cases to indicate a legal representative of the state. So during the estate settlement process, you'll likely have to interact with many businesses and organizations. Some of them will have their own affidavit to use instead of the small estate affidavit or in addition to an affidavit or probate documentation. When you're contacting these different entities, you are limited with how you can refer to yourself. An executor has more authority than a personal representative, for example. But you cannot refer to yourself as an executor if you use the affidavit process. You may only refer to yourself as a personal representative. Additionally, under the small estate affidavit process, you don't technically open an estate, so there can be confusion if you use that term when collecting assets. This particularly is somewhere where I would say getting a lawyer would be very good because even knowing what all these words mean, it's still confusing for me. So like, please don't be afraid to to go seek help if you are in this situation. And let me tell you, all the estate settlement stuff can be really confusing, especially when you're going through it and grieving the loss of your loved one which is why having a plan and talking about it with your loved ones and updating it regularly is so critical to making it even a little bit easier for your loved one when you pass away. A tool that might be beneficial for estate planning and just making some financial transactions throughout your life a little bit easier is something called power of attorney. There are two types of power of attorney in Illinois, including power of attorney for healthcare and power of attorney for property. Power of attorney for healthcare can be done before surgery or after an illness diagnosis and needs to be signed by two witnesses to be valid in Illinois. Power of attorney is only valid when you're alive. It does not have any bearing once you die. So a lot of people get confused, I, especially when I was talking about the challenges with settling my brother's estate. They kept asking if I was power of attorney. It doesn't matter if I was power of attorney once he died. The other power of attorney for property can be done at any time. It comes into effect immediately once the document has been put together. But most people wait until there's like a serious medical or personal issue before putting power of attorney for property in place. There's multiple ways to use it, actually. It can manage all of the financial pieces of a person's life, like paying bills, selling off assets and more. Or you can set up power of attorney for property for one specific transaction or one specific day. So you could be like, the only thing I want this person to do is go sign my mortgage paperwork. That's it. So it's only valid until they sign the mortgage paperwork for me and then it expires. So it can be a really useful tool while you're still alive to help you complete financial transactions or property transactions. You can have different people for each one of these roles. Like you could have one person who's good with 
healthcare decisions, be your power of attorney for healthcare, and then another person be power of attorney for property that might be better at financial decisions, right? So that's one thing to think about as well. A lot of people might default to their spouse or their parent for power of attorney for healthcare or power of attorney for property. I think that having these things set up just in case you become incapacitated in some way is really helpful beforehand, before you know like you're sick or before something happens because who knows with incapacitation what could happen. So another thing or things that you may want to include as part of your estate planning is life insurance. We're not going to talk in depth about this since we did with our Illinois Department of Insurance in episode 28. So check that out. It's called Tackling Insurance, and we we get more into specifics. When you're thinking about your overall estate plan, and particularly your will, you'll also want to make sure you're thinking about children, as we've talked about, your assets, all of them, digital assets, maybe some really expensive jewelry or heirlooms that have been passed down, things like that. Pets are something that can also and should be in your will. And then one thing is social media as well. This is obviously fairly new as well, but you know, people have social media accounts that, that belong to them. What happens to them when somebody's no longer there. First of all, if there's not a plan for them, it's very easy eventually for them to get hacked, right? And then it causes it, it could get information. It, it could just cause a whole slew of problems. So I know that on Facebook, there's like a legacy setting where you could actually say who can control your Facebook account once you pass away. I don't think it's there for things like Twitter or TikTok or whatever yet, but it is something that you want to you may want to think about. Um your email is another thing to really think about and maybe it's not even if it's not designating a person, it, it's hey, here's where all my passwords are for all of these things and who gets that list of passwords. Big fan so, of password managers. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you are. And I know clearly for, I feel this to my bones, that when it comes to communicating your wishes and plans with your loved ones, it's difficult. There is a free toolkit that you can use called the conversation project to help you have these difficult conversations about end of life care generally. We'll also share a link to that toolkit in the show notes. And just so our listeners know, Andrea actually shared that with me when she realized that I get the heebie-jeebies. Just trying to be helpful, Nikki. I just want to help you. Always. Help your family. Help yourself. Okay, so to (laughs) summarize, estate planning is a very important part of financial planning that outlines your wishes in case of unforeseen circumstances. There are several tools that you can use, including transfers, wills, power of attorney, life insurance, all those kinds of things. And it's important to start discussing your wishes with your loved ones. If you can just start with organizing your email and documents so it's easier for your loved ones to find important things, that's a good place to start. I've started thinking more about that as I've gone through the past year. 
I know I've talked a lot about password managers in the past, and I think they're really good tools to use for sharing passwords with loved ones you trust in case something happens, even if it's just to help you pay bills if you get sick, right? So think about using a password manager since it's a lot more safe than keeping like a notebook of all your passwords somewhere. Thank you so much for joining us today to talk about this very difficult topic. We hope you were able to learn something that can help make estate planning just a little bit easier for you and your family. Next episode, we will talk about the Community Reinvestment Act with Director of Banking, Chase Raywinkle. Again, thanks for listening. Feel free to share this episode with someone you love or like and subscribe to Making Sense of Money on Apple Podcasts. Google Play, SoundCloud, or Spotify.